Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these days of drawing closer to each other and to you. We thank you for the great celebration last night of the priesthood, of the time we were able to spend with the people of God who love you, who love the priests that you have given them so much and who yearn to have good and faithful shepherds. We thank you also for giving us the honor and the privilege being able to adore you throughout the night last night in the Blessed Sacrament. We ask that the graces uh, of these experiences may remain with us for a long time to come. We make this prayer in your powerful name, Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Why did God make you? To know him, to love him, and to serve him in this life, and to be happy with him in the life to come. So we've spoken about knowing God, self, and other, loving God, self, and other. And then today we can speak to serving God, self, and other. And I'm always struck by the fact that the Lord, the King of the universe, came to serve and not to be served. And and I think that we domesticate Jesus far too much because, you know, we've grown up hearing gospel stories and we're not taken aback as much as we should be by the fact that, like, this is the one who holds the universe in existence. This is the one that could have come thunderbolts blazing, riding on a cloud, and just demanding our service. And he's the one that washed feet. And he washed the very feet that would run from him. Not just once, but multiple times. He washed Peter's feet. Peter, who he knew would flee and then come back and follow at a distance and then deny and then come back. But then even after years of ministry, these same feet would be walking out of Rome only to have a vision of Christ and then finally be turned around again to face his own martyrdom. He washed undeserving feet. And when we realize that the king came to serve, then we recognize that to serve him is to reign. Because that is his kingly action. The way that he reigns is through service. And so if we want to reign with him, we only do so through service. So how do I serve him? Well, I serve the Lord by tending to the needs of the least of these, my brothers, right? The Lord makes that abundantly clear throughout the Gospels. That how I serve the least of these directly correlates to how I serve the Lord. And it ties everything together, right? Because uh, in the letters of St. John, those are some of the most beautiful and short letters, right? You can go through those every day if you wanted to. And realize that the Holy Spirit tells us 
every time we're open to hear it. If we do not love our brother whom we see, how can we claim to love our brother or our Lord whom we do not see? And that too, our Lord says so frequently in the Gospels, if you love me, keep my commandments. And what else is all of that than to serve the king who came to serve me? Which sometimes you'll see these good relationships where the people aren't fighting to be served, but to serve. And you can see very frequently it actually... um, can be seen in marriages it's gonna work if they're competing to see who can serve the other better rather than who can be served more the moment you start demanding service recipe for frustration you're gonna be the angry cynical guy all your life but if you look each day for opportunities to serve you will be satisfied in that desire every single day if you try to find ways to silently serve Receive no applause for it, no recognition. Maybe even have someone else receive the the, uh, credit for what you have done. If you can learn to have joy in that, you are impervious to whatever the world tries to throw at you. So, who are the least of these? Well, in a very real way, it's the poor. And it's so easy for us to live in a bubble because most of, most of us, we, we may not have grown up with everything that we wanted, but we also weren't destitute, right? I think for the majority of us, our needs were met. We didn't have to wonder if there was going to be food on the table, if there was going to be a roof over our heads. We likely didn't have to move every few months because we got evicted here, evicted there. And so it's easy to just gloss over material poverty and go straight into um, kind of the spiritual or intellectual poverty that's out there. But we need to have hearts for the least of these, and we need to gain a comfort of being around those who have lived with very little and because of that, have adopted these survival tactics. So we might judge, say, the homeless, um, or uh, those who frequently are turning to crime, and we might say, oh my gosh, they just have zero moral compass. If only they prayed more rosaries, they would be better. Instead of realizing, with their mother's milk, they drank in this dog-eat-dog mentality. And sometimes it takes our love and our kind of non-judgmental love to bring them to a better place. That's why if you have a chance in your parish assignments to help out at a parish food pantry or to be able to um, ask even your pastor, like, can, can, I, can, can we maybe visit at least once just some of the like, poorest parish uh, families in the in the parish and i know that they might be shy they might not want us to come over to their house or something like that but i just like to get a little bit more comfortable with life outside of upper middle class suburbia which is likely where many of us came from it can bear great dividends because it 
it allows us to walk in the footsteps of our Savior who became a servant. If you're in the metro area and you can help out with the CFRs a little bit, a, a beautiful way to just get a little bit more comfortable being with the poorest of the poor. So that's material poverty. But as I mentioned, that's not the only kind. And sometimes we think, I exist to serve the people of God, and we make this mental reservation in that moment, people of God who are not in the seminary, because those guys are the worst. <laughs> right? Instead of realizing this is the sliver of the people of God that I am meant to learn to love. Similar like yesterday, I said that family is that first arena in which we train our ability to love those that we did not choose to live with. Well, seminary is your second arena, where maybe some of that which was not resolved well in the family can finally be looked at there. Where maybe we had trouble with brothers, but we were fine with sisters. Well, now you got a lot of brothers. And you need to learn to be able to love them. Maybe on the other side of things. Maybe you're comfortable around bros, but there's a woman and you're like, oh, I have no idea how to love her properly. Well, that's why one of the great gifts in seminary formation is that usually there will be some women on faculty, on staff. And those are the ones that I often go to and I say like, hey, this guy, is he weird? They're like, yeah, he's a little weird. I'm like, okay, what does he need to work on? Well, every time that he sees me, he just like puts blinders on, just keeps going, oh, okay, so I'll have him maybe learn how to talk to you in a respectful and normal human way. <laughs> but seminary is this, this wonderful place that we have where the Lord gets to restore us. He heals us there. He allows us to know and be known, to love, give love, and receive love, but then also to serve. And here's the other one that tends to be a little bit hard for us, to be served in a good way, right? Because our, our goal shouldn't be like, everybody else needs to know their role, which is to serve me. It's like, no, 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 I, I should be in a healthy way competing to serve others. I should be looking for opportunities to be able to lay down my life in love for them. But I also need the humility to recognize when there's moments when they might need to be the ones to serve me. Um, and that takes the virtue of prudence to know when to just say, you know what, I'll accept this. I'll accept your love right now. I will receive this kindness that you want to give me. Because just as we lived in the extremes with self-knowledge of either assuming we could do no wrong or assuming we could only do wrong, so too with service. Sometimes we just go to the extremes of either I, am, I only ever hold doors open for other people and I will never let them hold a door open for me or something like that where it's like, dude, just calm down. Like It's good to have a um, basic disposition toward I want to be the one to serve, but receiving good service and good kindness is another important part of the equation. So, practically, how do I know what to do? How do I know where to serve? Well, that's where when you know someone and you love someone, you learn how to serve that someone. And so it all builds on each other. When I know God and I love God, then the opportunities to serve him abound. Because I start knowing 
all that relates to God. I start loving all those that he loves. And when I start loving everybody that God loves, I have opportunities for service all over the place. But here's the kicker, is that we need to serve them according to their need, not according to our preference. It's very often we want to serve so that we can be awesome service dude, so that we can uh, feel good about how serving and kind and wonderful we are, but what we can neglect is, what does this person actually need? Because sometimes they need me to like take control and really help them in that moment because they are utterly incapable. Other times they need me just to support them and they need to be the ones that help themselves. But the only way that we ever know what each situation demands is if we have the courage to get to know the person and love the person involved. So we cultivate a servant's heart. That is one that has the disposition always where I want to serve, but I'm also humble enough to realize different uh, situations are going to demand a different kind of service. And so I need to maybe take a step back and see, okay, what kind of service does this situation demand? But a servant's heart is one where you serve with a free heart as your choice, not as dry duty or obligation. And I think it's a beautiful practice to just be able to say out loud, I choose this, when it's something that you, if life hadn't handed it to you, if God's providential hand hadn't put it right in front of you, you would never have sought after. It's a beautiful thing in the daily orarium, where maybe you're not a morning person. Maybe there are aspects of formation that you think are totally superfluous and you don't get the benefit, but you can say, I choose this. This isn't something that is forced upon me. This is something that with my servant's heart, I choose to serve. It's like last year we talked about getting out of bed right at the alarm, getting on your knees, kissing the floor and saying, Serviam. For all few weeks that I did that, it was glorious and it was great. But it's being able to choose freely the acts of service that brings the joy into them. If it's just something that I do because I think I need to perform, like this is what befits a seminarian, is to act in this way, and so I'm going to do it, but I haven't freely chosen it with my heart, service is going to be a drudgery. But if it's something that day in and day out I can say, I I choose this. Every time that you open that breviary, maybe when you're not feeling it, but you say, I choose this. I know that I have to do it, in uh, Jacob's case. Um, But not only do I have to, I choose to. Because this is something that I I, I want to serve the Lord in this moment, in this way. Then we serve not only with a free heart, where we freely choose this service, but also with a joyful heart. And that's where St. Catherine of Siena, my gal, she comes in. Um, do any of you know the story of her as a kid very, very well? So she received visions, right? She had these visions of our Lord and of various saints. And sometimes she'd be like in the middle of the street and she was just like, stop and have this vision. People were like, uh-huh, she's at it again. And her parents were really nervous about this. And, and this is where sometimes we 
we think if somebody does not react the way that we want to an incredible experience, then they must be agents of the evil one. It's like, no. Sometimes they are actually God's purifying instruments of being able to bring us to a place of discerning spirits, of bringing us to a place of knowing, is this for others or is this just for me? And in her case, they actually taught her this beautiful truth by trying to squelch these visions, right? Because they didn't know if this was just the overactive imagination of a uh, seven, eight, nine-year-old girl. And so they ended up giving her so many chores that she did not have time to ever be alone to pray because they didn't want her having these visions and then talking about them. And understandably, like if she started just going around saying like, hey, I am the nine-year-old prophetess of, uh, of Siena, authorities might have gotten involved or something like that. Well, she was able to see the loving hand of God in the instructions of her parents. And it did not diminish her love or her connection to the Lord. In fact, it helped it to grow because she started thinking in terms of if my dad tells me to do something, it is Jesus Christ himself who is inviting me to take out the trash. When my mom tells me that I need to wash the dishes, I hear the voice of my blessed mother in heaven saying, would you do the dishes with me, my daughter? And I think when we have a, a servant's heart that has known God and loved God, every single act of service can be an act of service to God, just as it was for St. Catherine. Now, to serve with a, with a joyful heart means that we don't have a savior complex. And I think that can be very easy for us, especially who are preparing for or living out priesthood. It'd be easy to put the Superman cape on all the time, because we might be those who have benefited the most from times of extended prayer, of spiritual direction, of retreats, of counseling, uh, of great classes and theological and philosophical instruction. So we might be a bit more put together than some of our peers or some of our family. And we might think, ooh, I need to fix them and fix that situation. I need to be the one that, that saves everybody. Maybe we were called to priesthood because we already filled that kind of a role for some of our friends. But a servant is one who recognizes the Savior position is already taken. And I serve that Savior. I'm not going to be the one to fix most things. You might go into a parish someday and think, oh, I'm going to just change everything and make it so much better. And it might be your role to just kind of help prepare the way for the next guy who's actually going to bring it into full glory. You might enter into a situation and think, oh, I need to save this person. Sorry. You just need to love that person in that moment and prepare the way for like take any obstacles out of the path between them and the Savior. So we don't have a Savior complex when we serve of thinking they need me. No, they need Jesus. And you might have the awesome honor and privilege of bringing them Jesus. What a joy. Also no martyr complex. I remember there was one time um, I was leading early orientation at our seminary and there was so much work to, to get done, and I was 
still young and even worse at delegating. And there was just this night that, like, the guys had gone to bed and I was still like, oh, shoot, we got to do this and that. And I ended up spending, like, 45 minutes just moving these boxes around instead of, like, calling one of my bros and saying, like, oh, dude, we forgot to do this. Can we do it? I was just doing it. And the whole time I was feeling so self-righteous. And I was just like, oh, if any of them were here to help, if they even cared, then they would be here helping me. And then I realized they all do care. I haven't given them the opportunity to show that they care. And I was kind of um, lingering in that self-righteousness that is the martyr complex. Like, oh, I just need to lay down my life for everybody else because... You know, I just can't put this burden on anybody else because really, it's my cross to bear. It's like, no, get over yourself. Like, quit being a drama queen. Ask for help. Like, the Lord will be very clear when he asks you to be a martyr because there will be a gun in your face or something like that. Right? Until then, when you need help, ask for help. If there are, if there is a work that really requires two or three people and you're the only one doing it, Try to find one or two friends. Because when we serve with a martyr complex, we end up resenting the people that we're serving. Because sometimes we end up serving them in ways they didn't even ask to be served. We end up saying, oh, I have to do this for them. Ugh, and if they can't, if, if I don't do it for them, no one will. No, maybe they'll actually learn to do it for themselves. But when we have this martyr complex that can be kind of codependency, we end up serving ourselves more than we're serving them in like the wrong way serving ourselves of we're serving our need to be needed rather than their genuine need for help which brings us to serving with a joyful heart means no victim mentality too often we end up seeing everybody else as an obstacle to our joy because they don't understand us. They don't let us flourish the way that we think that we need to flourish. And we end up assuming that they are the reasons that we are unhappy. And that we are just a victim of circumstance always. But when we have that free heart that says no matter what happens, if I know that this is my responsibility, I choose this and I'm going to do it. And I do it not trying to take the savior position but as a humble servant i do this not thinking oh woe is me i'm such a martyr i'm such a victim but instead i do it saying for thank you for the privilege of being able to serve you in this way i would have loved to run even one errand for jesus in jerusalem if i was just passing by and i saw the apostolic band and jesus looked at me and said hey go over there there'll be a guy carrying some water i need you to go over there and let him know that the Savior needs a room. I would be all about that. Never mind the fact that it makes no sense. I don't see how it benefits salvation in the least. I don't even know that I'm setting up the scene for the first Eucharist, the institution of the priesthood. The same place that uh, eventually the Lord will breathe on his uh, apostles in his resurrected body. I could either choose that at that moment and say like, I get to do something for God. Or I could say, like, this makes no sense, stupid. Why does they get the cool jobs? I got this dumb job. Oh, my gosh, this doesn't even make sense. Our seminary formation, we have the choice. 
We can either rejoice in the fact that we are serving our Savior in ways that sometimes don't seem to connect to what we think the need is, or we can be bitter about it and end up embracing cynicism. The choice is ours. And so I pray that our choice can be to serve with the hearts of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Of Jesus, who had that awesome humility that he's the king of all things and came to serve us. Mary, immaculate, who served with this purity and this trust in her heavenly father. And then Joseph, who served with silent strength, who did not need to be the center of attention, but rather found joy in just gazing upon the faces of Jesus and Mary as he served them. As we come to know God, his people, and ourselves, I pray that what can grow within us is this genuine love of God, other people, and ourselves. And then any time that we do what life demands, we will know how best to serve God, his people, and to serve the needs of our souls. Because sometimes... When we call something self-serving, that's a way of calling it selfish. I get that. But there is a way of serving your own soul that is absolutely essential in the spiritual life. Nourishing your soul. Being able to give it all that it needs to commune with the Lord and to be a fit instrument in His hands in serving Him and His people. So we pray to Jesus, Mary, and Joseph that they may cultivate within us those saintly hearts of service that can be poured out in love for God and his people. Amen.